nutrition, gut health, mental health, hormones, and so much more. These all play roles in sustainable weight management. So, I scoured the globe with top experts in fitness, health, and weight loss to bring to you this podcast. So take a seat and enjoy the ride. So, welcome to the Matter Over Mind Experience. This is Master Trainer and Weight Management Expert, Narado Zico Powell. Now, for followers of this show, you might have been realizing some things that are different, right? Like the logo looks a little different. The name has changed. But I've kept some things the same because I don't want to shock people too much, right? So I want people to still know it's still been the Zico Health Show. But I'm rebranding and I'm moving a few things around. And the reason why is because as this show is growing, because you know I bring on the best of the best, right? So as this show is growing and I'm we're presenting such a wonderful information, I want the brand to represent that. So the new name of the show is the Matter Over Mind Experience. And I'm not, I won't take a long time. I'm going to quickly explain what I mean by that. See, we hear mind over matter all the time. Mind over matter. Let's think our problems away. I'm not, I'm not knocking that, not saying it's wrong. But we have so much information now that explains the importance of taking care of the body. I'm give you an example. Let's say you sleep for three hours a day for a week. You can meditate all you want. You can try to think as positive as you want. Your mind is not going to be clear. You're going to feel like crap. You're not going to have any energy. We have to take care of our bodies. All this time, the guests that I bring on and my weekend shorts, what we talk about, Habits to train your body to become healthier so you can burn body fat, you can have a clearer mind, you can have more energy. Now, the matter over mind experience is tying that into it directly because I want you to feel what I feel. I want you to experience what I experience and what my clients have experienced. That's what I want for all my listeners the matter over mind experience. The mind is a powerful tool. Very powerful tool, but like with any tool, for it to work efficiently, you have to take care of it. And that comes down to taking care of the body as well. So I want to be clear, you're going to keep getting wonderful, amazing information, wonderful, knowledgeable guests, but we're tying it directly into the importance of the matter, the physical body the health of your gut, lowering oxidative stress, lowering inflammation, how all those things play into burning body fat, having a clear mind, having good energy, and just feeling off the charts amazing. And every episode, I will give you a hack at the end of every episode to get you to that point. And with that being said, I have a fantastic guest for you today, and I'm trying my best not to screw up this name, but I have Dr. Sarah Saldivar. 
I think I came close. I think I came close. Online functional health coach, fantastic human being, very knowledgeable lady. She has she uh she has a PhD in exercise physiology and nutrition. And yes, the hack of this episode, at the end, she's going to give you basic tips to have a successful start on keto or a low carb diet. And with that being said, let's welcome Dr. Sarah to the show. Hi, Sarah, how you doing? Hello, Narada. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. We've talked a lot. I know a lot about you. Oh, by the way, everyone, I heard about her from uh, my boy, Scott Gazzoli's podcast, Causing the Effect, my Italian brother from another mother, my brother from a different continent, basically. Fantastic podcast. So go yeah. check that out as well. Matter over mine, I'm telling you, he knows he knows about it. I'm not going to get into that anymore. He's, but He's just a great interviewer and he was able to extract a lot of interesting things so you're you're gonna enjoy it for sure the interesting is uh is an understatement it's an understatement (laughs) (laughs) so sarah let's get this puppy started right tell my audience about yourself all right so i have a phd um like you mentioned in exercise physiology with a minor in nutrition from the university of miami Before that, I did my bachelor's and my master's in nutrition and dietetics, and I completed my dietetics internship to become a licensed dietitian. I'm a certified personal trainer and an ECSM EPC. What that means is that uh, I am a certified exercise physiologist with the American College of Sports Medicine, and I actually taught for them also workshops where I would train their students to sit for the personal trainer certification exam, which is actually really the hardest, by the way, if anybody's interested, I feel like your audience might be interested in to know that to sit for the ACSM personal trainer certification. um, It's like a 60% pass rate from the first try. So it's like the gold standard in terms of um, personal training certifications to get. So I taught for them and I prepared the students to take that certification for a while until uh, until the pandemic hit. And um, before that, as and concurrently, I taught at the University of Miami uh, exercise physiology and nutrition courses. And I also um, have been teaching for a long time up until like to the present moment, I'm teaching at Miami-Dade College, also nutrition courses. So I'm a nutrition professor, nutrition professor there. Um, but really right now, it's the focus is YouTube and growing my brand and um, sharing as much information to the maximum amount of people possible. So YouTube allows me to do that. And, um, you know, social media in general. And so, yeah, I would say like YouTube and Instagram, but but the main the main uh, bulk of the content, I think, might be uh, more so concentrated in YouTube. So that's uh, that's like a shorthand. <laughs> Sorry. No worries. Yeah. You're fine. You're fine. Thank you very much for that. What's your YouTube channel? Sure. So my listeners can uh, know about it. Yeah. So it's just my name is very easy to find me. There's really not a lot of people with the same name. So it's Dr. Sarah with an H Zaldivar. Um, I'll send you the links that way. Are you going to post this on YouTube or is it a podcast, just uh, audio? Um, the uh, It's going to be mostly audio. 
Audio. Oh, okay. So, so yeah. So, if my name is spelled Doctor um, D R, and then Sarah S A R A H Zaldivar Z A L D as in David I V A R. Um, so it's very, very easy to find me. And then on Instagram, it's at Doctor D R dot Sarah dot Zaldivar. So my name just with dots in between. Um, I do have other social media platforms, but really, I'm mostly active on YouTube and Instagram. So. Perfect. And we, of course, we can just put that information in the show notes as well. So people oh, just click go. on it and get straight to it. So we'll find yeah. different ways to access it. Of course, the show notes will be in the description of the show. People listening to me know how I roll. They know how I roll. So why did you decide to study exercise and nutrition? Right. So I had a lot of interest. So I was really um, thinking about journalism. And I actually, I believe I was a journalism student that first semester. But very quickly on, I realized that I wanted to um, instead um, do nutrition because I was equally passionate about both, you know, health and fitness and I'm a very curious mind. So journalism is like <laughs> the, it's like, amazing because you get to know everything about everything. So eventually I decided that what I'm more interested in is is fitness and really being able to drop body fat because it's always been a struggle ever since um, I can remember. Really around puberty, I would say, is when I started having uh, a very strong um, emphasis on body image and wanting to be as lean as all the other girls in my class. And so it started very early on. And it was a very unhealthy, you know, journey with, uh, you know, disordered eating, binge eating disorder, starving, and then binging and all that kind of stuff. And so this is, this is really where my interest started. And even before I finally got to college, um, I would buy academic textbooks and literally read academic textbooks on, you know, exercise physiology. Like I, I knew every single major muscle group in the body, like the actual scientific name, even before I started university. So I was very passionate about that. And so that's why eventually I was like, that. no, I, I want to do nutrition because in my mind, if I knew everything there is to know about it, then for sure, I would have no issue in that area. Then I would be like fit and healthy and, and problem solved. Little did I know that... <laughs> Throughout the traditional academic route, it was actually way harder for me to achieve that because I started getting brainwashed by the Food Guide Pyramid, which was the, it's the same message really um, to this day that is still being preached by the registered dietitians in the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and all those large organizational bodies, uh, whereby the messages be afraid of the fats and eat as many carbohydrates as you want. And so <laughs> that's what I started doing. And I thought, oh, that's going to be, you know, that this is great. This is, this is how I should be eating. And I never really ate as many carbohydrates before I actually became a dietitian. <laughs> and so, you know, it'd be like the cereal, it would be all, all of the things that now I'd be like horrified of, um, that that became more a part of my diet and lifestyle and actually made it much harder for me to actually be healthy. So yeah, that's that's how it started. <laughs> well, and you know what? I've always said, you know that saying the proof is in the pudding? Yeah. Ever since they came out with uh, the full pyramid, 
insulin resistance had gotten worse. Type two diabetes had gotten worse. We the overweight on tremendous crazy scales. People are become sugar sugar addicted. So if the proof is in the pudding, something is wrong with that pudding. It doesn't taste right. It doesn't smell right. Something is wrong with it, right? It's not right. And that's something we have to revisit and look at now individuals like yourself and me and enlightened individuals who who, uh, see what's actually going on have made these changes. But if the government is still preaching this, thank you, lobbyists, which is a different conversation. I don't want to get into politics on the show. But it's... It's it's really sad what's been happening to us since yeah. the food pyramid and the fact that we which we're still trying not to move off it. No, no they change the graphics. They they make it look different, different colors. <laughs> they change it into a plate away from a pyramid, um, but it's still the same. I'm I'm an athlete, and there are days I don't I can't eat as much many carbs as what's on the food pyramid. Imagine for yeah. someone who's who doesn't move who doesn't move much. You're asking them to eat 200 grams of carbs a day or whatever the number is. That's just, that's just ridiculous. There are days that I have to go relatively low carb, days I have to yeah. go a little bit high carb based on how I train. right? And yeah. that's just come from someone who's athletic. You're telling the general public to eat like that? I mean, come on. It's just, it's just yeah. doesn't even make any sense from any angle at all. So thank you so much for bringing that up. And yeah. with that being said, let's talk about when we get started, right? New clients, what struggles do they tend to face? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of them, um, well, first of all, a lot of them become clients because they already know about what I'm advocating, right? Which is a, a very low carb diet, whether that's keto or carnivore. Um, so a lot of them already kind of know, and they just need troubleshooting, you know, with let's say, hormones or um maybe they're 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 intrigued they haven't done it before they just want like the the head start like how how do i transition from this high carb heavily addictive foods that i'm eating towards eating more ancestrally um uh, ex- uh like an, an, an ancestral diet right so how do i do that transition because it can be very difficult for people because people still underestimate just how addictive foods can be like literally addictive, like the sweet taste can be six to eight times more addictive than cocaine, right? And that's been replicated in in multiple studies. So because of that, I provide a lot of help in allowing that transition to be as pain-free as possible. Um, So we do work with local then we target only the addictive component. But mainly the first thing that I would recommend is always cut down on the amount of carbohydrates first that you eat. And as you do that, that's going to then allow you to look at other components of your diet. But if you're going to go from highly addictive, high carb diet into, let's say, eating keto and, and real whole foods, it's going to be a very strong shock to your brain, right? And so it's much easier to cut down on the amount of carbohydrates you're eating and still have addictive foods because that's going to allow that transition to move slower or seamlessly. Um, So you can do the keto, dirty keto, right, phase. Once you do that, your body now knows how not to rely on carbohydrates as its main energy source. We're, we're still giving it addictive food. So the brain is still not freaking out. It's only dealing with shifting its main energy source away from a reliance on car- carbohydrates towards a reliance on fat. So 
After that phase, then we need to target the addictive component because keeping addictive foods like dirty keto foods, like, you know, all the dirt, the, the, the keto processed um, bars, pancakes, um, frozen meals. I mean, there's everything and anything you can think of can be done in a ketogenic way. Keeping those can be a trigger for a lot of my clients and a lot of people because there's you're still keeping something addictive. When you eat something addictive, you just want more of it, right? And a lot of my clients want to drop body fat. So keeping addictive foods, if your goal is to drop body fat, is not really going to get you there easily. You're just making it way, way harder on yourself. You're just going to require so much more discipline compared to somebody who cut out the addictive foods. Um, so that's really a lot of the work that I do. Um, other other kind of work would be, I guess, um, people who are already in it, but they just need troubleshooting. Like um, they're doing carnivore, they're doing keto, but it's not, you know, they're not dropping weight, you know. So I'll, I'll help in with uh, tweaking and the check-ins and making sure their calories are taken into account because a lot of people go into this thinking calories don't count. Like as long as they do keto, it doesn't matter. And mm, it's not really, <laughs> that's not really how it works, you know. So, so yeah, I mean, it depends. There are so many different things that I do, but that's like in a nutshell, I guess, a lot of the work that I do. So. I like the fact that you brought up calories too, right? Mm. Oh, I like your mug, by yeah. the way. This says eat meat and repeat. Uh -huh. yeah, eat that's meat, my lift, merch. repeat. Eat meat, lift, repeat. <laughs> that's I from my. That. That's the only merch that I have so far. I want to do like other things, but so far that's the only thing uh, that I, uh, <laughs> that I, you know, that I've done in terms of merch. You're going to love my breakfast, actually. After this interview, I'm going to have, um, um, duck gizzards uh, cooked in um, in coconut oil with uh, with some eggs. That's gonna be my. I usually have a very high fat keto based breakfast. I carve yeah. up a little bit more depending around my workout time, but yeah. my, throughout the day I basically run on ketos because I'm extremely metabolic flexible. But that's a different conversation. Do you like the taste of it? I love the taste of it because I know how to cook it. It's it took a while, but I learned how to cook it. Oh, okay. You should share that with me then. We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll <laughs> yes, talk. Definitely. Yes. Okay. Um, but yeah, so but thank you so much for sharing that. So I love the fact you brought up calories yeah. because I've talked about calories on the show about calories in versus calories out. And people still sometimes get a little bit confused. And what I'm explaining yeah. to them is not I'm not saying that calories don't count. That's not true. What I'm saying is the focus on, oh, if I eat a thousand calories and I burn two thousand, yeah. I'm gonna lose weight. That doesn't make any sense. You have to understand that your body has a basic BMR. But you also have to understand that the quality of the calories that you eat plays a very important role in that, right? Yeah. Because you can eat a thousand calories of carbs or a thousand calories of good fat. It's different, right? Well, how about how your body process it? So yeah. that's that's what I, so thank you for bringing that up because yeah. I want to drive that home. It's very different. And it also depends on your genetics. So some people genetically are more metabolically flexible, which means that even if you give them the carbohydrates, they'll run through them, they'll burn them versus somebody else who's not metabolically flexible. And you give them a thousand calories of carbohydrates and it just gets stored for fat. It's very difficult for them to actually burn them and clear them very quickly or easily from their bodies. And also genetically, some people are freaking out when you give them a lot of carbohydrates because they can 
cannot handle this amount of carbs. And so they overproduce insulin. Insulin is called the fat storage hormone for a reason, right? I mean, it it is it is needed to allow the conversion of those foods into fat as like stored in your fat cells. And so if you give somebody who is genetically um, very uh, intolerant to carbs and you give them all the carbohydrates, even if you put them on a calorie restricted diet, they're going to suffer a lot and it's going and their rate of weight loss is going to be slower. It doesn't mean they're not going to lose weight because, you know, they'll still lose weight even if you give them the carbohydrates. But more often than not, they're going, it's like, it's like driving with the brakes on, right? They're going to lose the weight, but they're going to feel miserable doing that. And they're not going to lose as much weight for the same amount of calories if it were in a different macronutrient, if it weren't all carbohydrates. So, uh, and we've had a lot of studies that show how the same people, you put them on different macronutrient kinds of diets. And when you give them very low carb, um, they end up burning off an additional 300 calories without having to do any additional work. Their their bodies just burn more calories. So um, in other words, they can drop also more body fat without doing any extra effort or any extra exercise. So um, yes, the quality of the food is very, very important. Not only that, what you eat can determine whether or not you can eat less than what your body burns like so the quality of your food affects the quantity of the food that you eat so if you really want to create a calorie deficit and allow your body to tap into its fat stores then paying attention to the quality of the food is going to really either make it extremely difficult or extremely easy for you to create that calorie deficit if your goal is to drop body fat thank you so much you're sharing some banging information. So thank you so much. You are fantastic, Sarah. Thank so you. next thing then, let's talk about the struggles because we're going to keep on, mm. keep on with that. How can clients overcome these struggles, especially in the beginning? Um, the, the biggest advice that I tell people is um, motivation is the result, not the cause which what I mean by that is you don't want to wait until you get motivated to do any change. You want to change and do any form of action, any form of little result that you can get your hands on, because that's going to stimulate motivation. So when you actually take action, even though it's the last thing you feel like doing and you actually do some change in your diet and lifestyle, that little accomplishment, maybe it might just be going of eating 50 grams less carbohydrates this day compared to yesterday. Even that little insignificant change, that's going to stimulate dopamine in your brain, which also means it's going to stimulate motivation. And so I read a book by Jeff Hayden, I believe. I'm not sure if that's his name. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? The motivation myth a few years ago, and it was literally a lifesaver. It's just, it's a life-changing book for people who are struggling with discipline and motivation and sticking to their diet, which is pretty much everybody, because we all know cake is not going to help us achieve our goals, but yet we still eat it. Right. So forget about what kind of diet is best. I think the biggest problem is dietary adherence and the mindset that people have around their lifestyle and and eating habits. And if we can just fully be aware 
of how the brain works that you create your own motivation. You don't wait for it to happen. If you can just, if I can just drill that down in every person's brain, I think that would be the biggest, biggest advice I have. Motivation is the result of action, not the cause of action. You create your own motivation. Now, it's very difficult to take that first step. And so another advice would be aim low enough. We get ex- we, we, we get fed up by eating crappy food for a while and we feel so awful. And we're like, that's it. Tomorrow I'm starting. Tomorrow I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Tomorrow comes and you've completely underestimated just how much addictive food you've put in your body and what you've done to your brain in that period of time. You've destroyed a lot of dopamine receptors in your brain. You've destroyed a lot of receptors for other neurotransmitters in your brain. So your brain is fried (laughs) and you need to be fully aware of how fried your brain is before you actually set a goal. So the second biggest tip that I have is set a low enough goal that's actually going to be accomplished because the worst thing you can do is set such a big goal and then not actually achieve it because that starts to degrade the your identity the, the, the because if your word doesn't mean anything to you then that's it like that's the end of everything because that's how it all starts you set a goal you accomplish that goal that builds the identity that you're somebody who accomplishes your goals right i mean it's as simple as that. If you don't do that, you're go you're you're just you're never going to achieve anything ever in your entire life because like that's the first step in achieving anything, right? So humble yourselves a little bit and and realize just how important of a step you're taking even though that goal is not the most inspiring goal. And I'm not saying don't don't dream big. I I am a big proponent of dreaming big and setting crazy unrealistic goals. The more unrealistic, the more pumped you're going to be in following it. But that should be on a macro scale. That should be on a long-term scale. On a a short-term scale, make your goals smaller. Like the goal you're going to set for tomorrow shouldn't be this crazy goal. But the overarching goal, yes, can be that. And I encourage you to dream big in that overarching long-term goal. So, So yeah, like that would be that would be what I would say. Another thing is third tip. <laughs> we are we as a nation are still insufficiently aware of just how addictive foods are. We still don't take it seriously. People understand how bad sugar is. They get it. Oh yeah, sugar is terrible, right? It's we get that, but they don't understand still how addictive it is. Because if they did, there wouldn't be a junk food place every single at every block, um, everywhere you go. They wouldn't be parading all the sugary foods around. Like it's, it's think of it like tobacco, right? It's it's probably way worse than tobacco. And we we have taken as a as a society, we have taken actions to limit our exposure to those addictive triggers, but we don't take sugar nearly as seriously. And um, not to get into controversial issues, and trust me, I'm not going to say the word because I'm just as traumatized by the censorship. (laughs) But what happened in the last two years tells you exactly um, how as as a nation, we we still don't take things seriously because if we really did, that should have been the wake up call that America and the world needed to fundamentally rethink 
what we are putting in our bodies and what we are serving our friends and family members and what we are showing our kids and, and feeding them, right? So we still have this um, love-hate relationship with, with sugar and addictive foods and um, we still don't take it seriously. And because we don't take it seriously, we'll still take a bite here and there and that drowns us. For a lot of people, it's a trigger that takes them back to um, their addictive eating habits. And everybody's addicted, by the way. Like no, nobody is free from that. Otherwise, we'd all just be eating like single ingredient foods, like, you know, like meat or, or, or fish or whatever with, with just some salt. No, even people who are doing that are still adding herbs and spices and addictive things, right? And so everybody's addictive, but it's a spectrum. It's like some people have very low levels of addiction to food. Some people have very high levels of addiction to food. The vast majority of Americans and really the world tend to be a, a closer to the ha heavier end of the spectrum of heavy addiction, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't be like 80% of us are either overweight or obese and the trend keeps getting worse. And even those of us who aren't overweight or obese, we're not eating the healthiest foods. We might look skinny, <laughs> But that doesn't mean we're healthy. We're still eating, you know, we're just eating smaller amounts, you know. Um, but we're still not eating what we should, what we know we should be eating. So, um, so I think truly being aware with regards to just how addictive those foods can be can help us set better goals for ourselves in the future. Um, and the, 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 the less casual we are about this, the higher our chances of success, if that makes sense. I recently experienced that when I was in Jamaica for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. where I'm from, right? Mm -hmm. the, um, the wonderful island of Jamaica, we call it. <laughs> yeah. in, in, in the Caribbean, there's Jamaica, then there's all the other islands. We don't care about them. But yeah, but anyway. I would love um, to visit, yeah. One day, one day. Um, yeah. you, you should though. You should seriously. It's a nice place. But what I was, I was very disappointed when I went. I was extremely disappointed. I, I realized how addicted we are as an island now compared to how I was brought up. When I was young, my parents used to make sure I drank seriously. They used to make sure I had like I drank bitter things. They used to give us washout once a year to cleanse our bodies. We don't do that anymore. It's it's like unheard of now and it's uh -huh. freaking insane to me how how i see how addicted we are how we we and the thing about it this is the worst thing we're on an island where we have a lot of natural foods right yeah, yeah. but but yet we rather go buy things like if i eat let's say sugars i eat a sugar cane i love sugar cane i love apples i love fruits right I love vegetables. My, that's yeah. how I was raised as well. But now Jamaicans in an island, they don't want it. They want the processed crap. And I saw that. And then on top of that, this yeah. is the worst thing. They yeah. justify just the same way that someone who is a, who is a crack addict would justify being on crack. It mm. is unbelievable. I was so, I looked at it and yeah. I was so yeah. disappointed. And then I look yeah. at their health problems and they say, oh, well, this is just what happens at my age. No, it happens at your age when you eat crap. No, so yeah, yeah, that's an excuse. That's that's everybody gets, gives us this excuse, right? Oh, it's my age. No, no, no. <laughs> this, these are the emerging markets, Narado, you know, because um, Americans and um, developed countries are a little bit more now aware of the studies and what's happening with those food companies advertising their addictive markets. And so their, their addictive products 
similar to what the tobacco industry did, right? When Americans stopped smoking as much, they doubled down on their marketing efforts in more vulnerable populations that might not have the same amount of education or um, access to this kind of, uh, uh, you know, lifestyle that would make them difficult to convert. Um, so, so it's the same thing that's happening now with, you know, Coca-Cola and like, those are the emerging markets. This is now where, where they're making tons of money there. And don't get me wrong. Like the Americans are still prime, um, customers and, you know, victims of this whole fiasco, but, uh, but definitely, um, there is, there is this thing where they target vulnerable populations, even, even within the United States. I remember if, I don't know if you've ever watched, the documentary Fed Up, it's a great documentary, it came out in 2014. I, I make sure my students watch it every semester. And uh, they talk in it about um, how the food companies target Latino and African-Americans, teenagers. Like, I think it was, no, I think that statistic was specifically for Latinos uh, and Hispanics, like 90% more advertising of junk food targeted to them compared to their um, Caucasian um, counterparts. Why? Because a lot of Hispanic population or Hispanic uh, teenagers live in lower socioeconomic status compared to Caucasians, which means that the return on investment for every dollar spent on an ad, junk food ads, for that teenager is going to have a greater ROI and it's going to convert more of them because they have less defenses compared to um, uh, a white 18 year old kid who, you know, has all of the nutrition education and the, you know, the good relationships and communication and love and support that would make them uh, have more defenses against addictive foods like that. So you are definitely right. And thank you for bringing up another fantastic topic. And again, guys, I've told you in the beginning, well, guys and women not leaving anybody out. Right. I said, careful now. Is, I know, right. I'm <laughs> you don't want to be canceled. <laughs> I know HR is going to come after me. You're going to come after me. I, I'm surprised I'm not canceled yet. <laughs> but this right. is, anybody, uh, anybody in the nutrition, right? Uh, anybody like in the, in our ancestral nutrition thing, you're right. Where how we're not canceled is, is surprising, but we do get canceled. We have to say that. Yeah, exactly. So mm -hmm. well, this is the matter over mind experience. And you talked about the foods that we eat, our impacts dopamine. That's mm. a perfect example of what I'm talking about, what happens in the body and how it impacts the brain, right? Yeah. Because if you eat properly, your mind is a powerful tool. But if you feed it properly, then it can really operate the way it should, right? On the levels that it should, but then yeah. it comes down to what you do with the matter. So the matter over mind experience, I want everyone within an earshot to experience what Sarah and I and our clients and students experience. So thank you so much for that as well. Thank you, Narado. Yeah, I mean, it's always fun to to be able to talk to like-minded individuals, you know, because uh, I think there's a lot more of us though than than what we think. You know, sometimes like when we go out and you you're socializing and you look at like the, how the way society is, and you're like, wow, how 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 is it like? everybody's eating all kinds of different things, and doesn't it affect them? Um, but it does. It does affect them, and I think. Uh, I think sometimes just people, it takes longer for them to uh, eventually lean into that fitness and wellness lifestyle like you and I have. You're right. Now, I have another a follow up, of course, I'm, I always have questions. So here's another question, right? 
What made you look into the keto diet? And I want to also add on to that. What are the possible benefits and drawbacks of being on a keto diet? Hmm. Okay. Benefits and drawbacks. Um, I see no drawback <laughs> except, um, well, the dra- let's think, let's tackle the drawbacks first because the benefits are so easy to tackle. So let's try tackle the drawbacks first. I would say if somebody, um, is fighting off some, some infection or some form of, um, like they are in a weakened state, then getting into ketosis, especially through intermittent fasting or through not eating, um, might not be helpful for that person. Um, They might need more nutrition, um, although they might still benefit from ketosis as long as they're getting it via the diet, not via fasting, because you can enter that fat burning state multiple ways. It's not just through the diet. You can just not eat, right? Fasting also puts you in that state. Um, another, let's see, it's very difficult for me to, to, to give you drawbacks because I truly believe that it is the natural state of a human being. Um, newborns are born in a state of ketosis. They literally are running on fat the vast majority of their time. And breast milk is designed to keep the baby in that fat burning state. And I know you'll get comments always whenever I mention it. Yeah, but breast milk is so high in sugar. It's got lactose. The macros don't match what a ketogenic diet is. But see, it's not just the macros that can decide whether or not you enter that fat burning state because you can have perfect macros and still not be in ketosis. And it's happened to me. Um, If I eat zucchini, I could be doing all the right things, not eating any carbs for a week, weeks on end. And then if I'll have zucchini because it is such a stressful food because it's got the, the seeds in it has... Um, anti-nutrients, which are plant cell defense chemicals, it stresses me out internally. I wouldn't know it unless I test myself, which I've done. And it, it just kicks me out of that fat burning zone. My body is um, in a stressed state when I'm consuming those foods. So it's not just the macronutrient, uh, like how much carbs, proteins, and fats you're eating that determine whether or not you are in ketosis. And a prime example of that obviously is breast milk that if you look at the macros, it's not that low in carbs, but yet it is a ketogenic diet food and it keeps the newborn in that fat burning state as long as they're uh, consuming, um, only the breast milk. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, the benefits, the benefits, where do we start? Every single major chronic disease that we are suffering from as a nation can be traced back to our high carbohydrate consumption. Um, type 2 diabetes, obesity, um, autoimmune conditions, all of those things, they are triggered um from the plant foods. And it's really the plant foods that have the carbohydrates, because if you're not eating plant foods, um, you're getting almost, almost a zero carbohydrate diet. Um, Because even things like vegetables are still going to have some carbohydrates, right? So carbohydrates are, and in the amount that we're eating them nowadays are a very recent development in, um, in our food supply. For 99.99% of our existence as a species here on Earth, we mainly evolved during an ice age. Do plants grow during an ice age? They don't, right? They struggle. 
And so we weren't, um, we were not going around digging up like, uh, like I remember one time I got into like an online argument. I, I only go into arguments sometimes when I, when I know I'm going to win it and I just want to have a little bit of fun. <laughs> and so uh, I remember it was like on Facebook, Facebook loves to show me threads only that have like a lot of um, uh, discourse happening. So I remember I was, I was saying I, I was thought, I was you know criticizing some article that's still recommending high carbs like from this some registered dietitian or whatever. So and I talk about how ketos ketosis are a natural state and somebody says yeah well if we only eat woolly mammoths how where where did the woolly mammoths get their plants from if we're this ice age and it was no plants grew and so I did my research and it turns out the woolly mammoths dig up under the ice there's some grass so they'll dig up under the ice and like they'll eat the grass under it. Um, and that's, that's, that was like their food. And so humans, there is no evidence of us ever doing that. We weren't going around digging under the ice to eat the grass that the woolly mammoths would, would eat. We went straight to the woolly mammoth. We hunted and we ate fatty mammals because that lasted us for a very, very long period of time. We didn't have to continuously look for food. Um, and so, for 99.99% of our existence, we mainly ate a carnivore diet, which was almost a zero carbohydrate diet. Now, there were periods during that time where the Earth's atmosphere would warm up a little bit and then it would cool down. So there, there would be like 100,000 years where it would be a warmer weather. But still, despite all of that information, the over arching theme here is like the vast majority of our time, our DNA evolved on very, very minimal to no carbohydrates. And even the carbohydrates that we ever did consume were nothing like the carbohydrates we have now. They had way more fiber, which meant way less carbohydrates and way less sugars. And so our genetics haven't had enough time to evolve to not be uh, negatively impacted by the amount of carbohydrates that we're eating nowadays. Now, it's not that carbohydrates per se are bad. It's just that we haven't had enough time for evolution to do its work. And how does evolution do its work? It basically, when you get sick from your environment, like you're eating those carbs and you get type 2 diabetes and you die and you don't have a, you don't get a chance to um, reproduce. That's basically how evolution works, right? Um, your DNA dies off and the DNA of the people who were able to tolerate the carbohydrates um, remains. And so, this is why evolution takes such a long time. It's because it literally, it literally relies on people dying off. It takes generation upon generation upon generation. And only the generation, only the genetics of those that were not negatively impacted by that environment, um, only that can 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 then you know evolve to adapt to that environment. So the Two options we have is either understand that our genetics aren't well adapted, they haven't had enough time, and so cut out the carbs, or give yourself all the generations to come to and give ourselves enough time to adapt because give on, on a long enough time frame, you will eventually adapt to eating carbs, right? The question is, it's not going to be you who's going to adapt to it. It's going to be your great, 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 you know, grandchild, right? And so for that reason, the logical solution to this whole problem is telling people just 
how much better their quality of life can be when they remove the carbohydrates. And it's not obviously, it's not as simplistic as just tackling carbs, but carbs is a big, big thing that if you can conquer, it becomes a lot easier to add all the additional things that you can do with your health and lifestyle, not only because of the carbohydrates and how they affect your energy levels or your blood sugar shoots up and down, up and down all day long. And so you're riding this energy roller coaster and your mood goes up and down with it. It's not just that. Um, it's also the fact that carbs are far more addictive than proteins or fats. Try to eat, you know, something that's only made of protein or fat. How much of it can you possibly eat, right? Protein is the single most satiating nutrient. It keeps you fuller for far longer of time compared to any other nutrient that you're going to eat. Um, so it's carbohydrates that not only are particularly problematic for our health, but also are particularly addictive compared to um, carbohydrate uh, compared to protein and fat sources. So, yeah, I don't know if uh, I mean we could talk for hours on the negative effects of carbohydrates on our bodies, uh, but I think it's good to remember the evolutionary history why it's so problematic for on, on so many levels for us. And I have a few things that I want to highlight from what you just said. Um, so I'm going to yes. try to keep this under two minutes, right? So yes. let's go. Esther Bloom wrote a book, Cave Women Don't Get Fat, right? And she and it's a fantastic book. I interviewed her, I think it was last month or so. Go back and listen to that interview. But Cave okay. Women Don't Get Fat, fantastic book. And she talks about the same thing, right? Okay. About um, how our evolution on eating fatty foods. Okay. The the second thing I want to talk about the drawbacks a little bit, right? Because the drawbacks sometimes are created by us, meaning yeah. that it, you said something in the beginning of the show when you said that we try to go for all or nothing. Well, if you've been running on carbs for the last 30, 40 years, you can't get up tomorrow and say, I'm just going to go and keep going to ketosis. You know why? No. Your body uses lipase and other enzymes to break down fat. If you have been on a high carb diet for a very long time and you try to just go into ketosis, you're going to feel like crap. Um, because your body does not have the mechanisms as of yet to get you into that fat burning and ketosis state. Another thing, too, is how people and I'm sure you're going to talk about this when we get into the tips. A lot of people just don't get high, don't get enough electrolytes. They don't hydrate enough. That's a very important part of being in ketosis. Mm. I've made that mistake before. I'm sure others have made that mistake before. And something I had to learn the hard way. Please do not learn that lesson the hard way. But Dr. Sarah is going to get into that because she's the expert in that as well. So I want to um, highlight those important things and the benefits countless that, um, um, biochemist Rob Wolf mentioned mm. the importance. And I'm sure you're familiar with his work, very brilliant individual. And he talks about the pathways that fat uses versus um, carbs and fat uses higher inflammation, higher oxidative pathways. Now mm -hmm. the carbs, yeah, the carbs, carbs do. Uh, yeah. That's it all the way around. Yeah, carbs do. I apologize. Yeah, yeah, I, I might have yeah. said it wrong. So carbs yeah. use higher inflammation, higher oxidative stress pathways. Fat uses low inflammation, low oxidative stress pathways. Mm -hmm. Very important to understand that, right? Yeah. So understanding these things plays such a huge role. That's why someone eventually who been in ketosis for a while can say, my mind is clearer. I feel better. Again, matter. Mm -hmm over mind give me the matter what it needs because it does impact your mind yes. you can think clearly you can be sharp if you do it properly and you work with an expert in the field so thank you for highlighting that and i just want to make sure i underscore that for the audience great great tips you you came up with as well like the 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 importance of salt and electrolytes i think uh 
that is something that people might say, oh, it's a negative that, you know, when you take out the carbohydrates and you do keto, you don't feel as energetic in the beginning. And that's only because when you take out the carbohydrates, your body is not retaining an excessive amount of carbohydrates the way it used to. Because when you eat carbs, your pancreas produces insulin and insulin retains electrolytes. So that means it retains the sodium, the magnesium, all the electrolytes, which are electrically charged in your body. It doesn't get rid of them as easily. So when you remove the carbs and your body is not overproducing insulin, your kidneys do not over retain the sodium. And so now that means that until your body kind of reaches an adaptation or uh, regulates how much salt it lets out or how much sodium it lets out of your kidneys, in that initial first week or two, it's really important that you increase the amount of salt in your diet. My recommendation is to always be liberal with the sodium and the salt, um, but especially in the first couple of weeks, because otherwise you might go through what people tend to call keto flu. You just feel run down. You feel like you have the flu, but you really don't have it, right? And that's just because you're getting rid of too much sodium, your your kidneys don't yet know to regulate themselves. And so when you get rid of the electrolytes, your blood volume shrinks along with it. Because remember, when you have salt, it packs or retains water around it. And so when you're getting rid of the electrolytes, your blood volume drops. And so your blood pressure goes down. And so that is really what gives you this feeling of feeling run down and not energetic. And so you can make sure you're liberally applying um, salt to your food and maybe even I was able to find salt tablets, although caveat here, if you're prone to headaches, uh, which I am, it gave me headaches. So try it out. I did find salt tablets. You just pop them and you drink some water. Um, They did trigger headaches in me. So think of that. Um, And also you can do bone broth. The bone broth is best because it's high in sodium, but it's also high in hydration because you need both. You need the salt and then you need a lot of water to, to, so that the salt hangs onto all this water and your blood volume goes back up and fills your, your veins and arteries. So your blood pressure goes back up and and you feel good. Um, So yeah, that was a great thing you, you mentioned with regards to like, um, like the one of the negative or cons, it's just like that adaptation phase. Right. And it's how we implement it. It's not really the diet is the issue. It comes down to the implementation of the diet, implementation of the lifestyle. Now, you've given us some fantastic information. I want to wrap this puppy up in a bow at the end, right? So as I promised to everyone, we're going to talk about the basic tips to have a successful start on a low carb or keto diet. So wrap Mm -hmm. this up for everyone. What What would those be? The best tips on a low carb or keto diet. Number one, uh, we said the salt, salt is not a problem. It was always the carbohydrates and the insulin that was a problem. So now that we got rid of that, salt is not the problem. If anything, you want to make sure you're not deficient in your electrolytes. Um, Another tip, gradually convert from a a sugar burning metabolism to a fat burning metabolism. Don't, Don't go cold turkey because a lot of people are not going to transition seamlessly. It's going to be difficult. Or if you want to transition seamlessly, you might want to think of doing dirty keto first, because if you're only tackling the carbs, going from high carb to very low carb, 
remember, that's not the only thing your body's adapting to. It's also the dopamine receptors in your brain that are adapting to this shift. So maybe if you do dirty keto, at least your body doesn't have to also go through the withdrawal effects of not having addictive foods. So keep some of that, maybe at least for the first week or two, that's going to make it easier. Um, so that gradual transition is really important. And um, something that I never mentioned, I think it's important to mention, um, it takes three months for your athletic performance to go back to what it was before you did the transition to keto. So if you're an athlete, you may want to consider doing keto in the off season because your you will drop in your performance initially but that's only because carbs are like this artificial source of energy. It's like a steroid, if you want. So when you take that out, you need time to go back to adapting to performing in your natural state, which is that fat burning state. So give yourself three months before you decide on how you're performing athletically on a ketogenic diet. And the last, probably single most important tip is to remember that motivation is the result of taking action not vice versa. So you take action in order to create motivation. Don't wait for this lightning bolt to hit you because it almost never will. And if you're just waiting around until something sparked inside of you um, so that you change, you, you might wait your whole lifetime and not ever change. So you have to take that first step. It doesn't have to be a big step. As a matter of fact, just make it very manageable. Um, and as that, as as you take that first step, you create motivation, and that eventually turns into momentum. And work with an expert like the fantastic Sarah Salvador. I think I get her right. I get her right. <laughs> See, now right. It. See now you messed it. See now you messed it. Zaldivar. Zaldivar. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> okay, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'll get there eventually. I'll get there. It's a slow journey, but I'll get there eventually. Kind of like okay. keto, right? So, um, yeah. but yeah, thank you so much. And everything sure. you just said, you wrapped up in a bow. Please go back and listen to that, everyone. Very important. And she highlighted again matter over mind. Doing the things in your body, giving your yeah. body what it needs, so your mind and everything else can function the way it should. The matter over mind experience. Sarah, thank you so much. I will learn your last name one of these days. This is a fantastic interview. Before you leave out of here, we know about your YouTube, so you can give me that plug. Tell, tell, tell my audience, yeah. how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, Dr. Sarah Zaldivar is, you know, all of my social media. Remember Sarah with an H, so it's Dr. Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, Zaldivar, Z-A-L-D-I-V-A-R. Instagram at dr.dr.sarah with an H dot Zaldivar. Um, you can also shoot me an email at um, drsarahzaldivar at gmail.com. Um, and it's very easy to find me. You know, my name will pop up. There's really no other account with this name. So it should be pretty straightforward to find me. And of course, the contact information will be in the show notes. This is probably going to be zukhealth.com slash Sarah Z is probably was what I'm aiming for with the show notes, but the show notes will be in the description of the podcast. So you guys will know guys and women. Let me stop saying, just saying guys before people start coming after me. I will. Most of my <laughs> listeners are females anyway. So I should say, really? I should say females everyone. Just say, and say guys. Everyone. Yeah, yeah, everyone. There we go. Say everyone can have access. There we go. Thank <laughs> you so much. Thank you so much. And with that being said, let's get out of here. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you, Narado. Thank you so much for having me. Bye, everyone. 
thanks for joining the Matter Over Mind experience. If you got good content out of this or any of my shows, save, subscribe, and share it with anyone who needs this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride.